church. It's, it's brilliant. Um, so great. So we are um, two weeks now away from the end of our series in Exodus. And so um, there's two more talks after today. And as we sort of hit the end of Exodus, everything kind of like gets condensed quite quickly. So I'm doing six chapters worth of, uh, of content today. Um, but you'll be pleased to know I'm not going to read six chapters to you because that would take up all of our time and probably more. Um, and then we've got a week, because what happens is in Exodus, when we get to chapter 25, we have God's instructions for building the tabernacle, and I'll talk about that in a minute, and that goes all the way through to chapter 31, and then we have another story that kind of is, is like a, um, the filling in a sandwich, and then we get the other half bit, which is the people building the tabernacle. So, you know, I, don't, I quite like Lego, I like playing Lego with Jude, and you get the instruction manual, that's what the chapters 25 to 31 are, they're an instruction manual, and then you get the people actually building it. And I know what that's like at home at the moment because I'm building a kitchen with some instructions, yeah? So you sort of go through it. It's, it's an instruction manual that God gives the people. And that's where we are at the start of our, um, our chapter here at chapter 25. But how did we get here? Well, we got here, if we go all the way back to the start of Exodus, if you recall, the people are um, effectively um, living in this kind of like dictatorship. Pharaoh is not a good king. He subdues the people. He uh, puts them under hard labor, and God delivers them, and God becomes their king. He, he becomes their king instead of Pharaoh. He delivers them. They end up in the wilderness, and then God meets them at Sinai, and he doesn't just become their king. As I said two weeks ago, he becomes their husband. He marries himself to them in covenant relationship. He, he becomes their God, and they are his people. There's this covenant union that takes place. And then what we find here is that now it's not only just those two things have taken place. It's not just their king and their God and their husband, if you want to use that kind of language. He's also the one who's going to come and dwell amongst them. God himself is going to come and dwell amongst the people. And so chapters 25 to 31 tell the Israelites how they're going to prepare this sort of tabernacle, which means dwelling place, this tabernacle for God. Um, those of you who have come back from New Day... God doesn't rock up in an eight-man tent. He's, he doesn't sort of like go, you get the Eurocamp tent out or whatever they're called and let, let's sort of set it up. It's not like that. It's not even like a Bedouin tent or, or it's not glamping either. It is far more luxurious and split, like just amazing in terms of what God decides that he's going to get the Israelites to build. So let's just read chapter um, 25, verses 1 to 9, because I just want to read you a little bit about the types of materials that they use to build this dwelling place. So verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive from the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red and another type of durable leather, acacia wood or olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Then let them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And then we get the pattern. So I am not the kind of person who can then read these sorts of six chapters and try and imagine it in my brain. It doesn't, I don't work like that. I'd have to read it and draw it as I was going along. I don't know about you, but that's just the way I learn. I don't know, when you get to these chapters in Scripture... You know when you're reading something and your brain switches off and you have to remind yourself you're reading? I don't know if everybody does that, but I do that when I get to these chapters. So I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm reading this. Um, so I found a couple of uh, drawings. I almost called them pictures, but it was quite a long time before photography. Um, I found a couple of drawings. So I don't know whether we can put the first one up on the screen of what this kind of tabernacle looks like. So here we go. So we've got this 
outer, um, around the outside, I'll just point to it, around the outside you've got this outer kind of perimeter, and then within it you've got the temple. And then outside you've got a courtyard which has got altars in it, and inside you've got the temple. And so this temple area, if you can go to the next slide, I'm going to talk about that. So inside you've got this temple, and this temple is divided itself into two sections. You've got the Holy of Holies, and then you've got an out, sort of out, outside area. And the temple itself is covered in lots of different types of um, animal furs. And so within this temple, God uh, instructs the Israelites to build certain things. And that's where it starts. And he kind of works inside out as he's explaining this to them in terms of what they're to build. And they are to start with an ark. Now, an ark is this big wooden box covered in gold. And on the top of the box, there's two cherubim. And the two cherubim are facing inwards with their wings covering the box. And they're reminders to us of uh, the story in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden, God places two cherubim, two angels, on the gates of Eden to stop the people entering back into, to stop humanity entering back into Eden. And so now we have these cherubim over the top of the Ark of the Covenant, demonstrating that there is separation between us and God. And the top of this Ark is called the, depending on your version of the Bible, will either be called the mercy seat or the atonement cover. The atonement cover is a better translation in my mind because it explains what it is. And so once a year on the day of atonement, which you can find in Leviticus 16, the high priest is to go into the Holy of Holies and make an offering first for himself with the blood of a bull, and then he is to make an offering for the sin of the people with the blood of an unblemished lamb. And this blood is to be placed on top of the atonement cover so that the people's sin can be paid for. And so that's what's to happen in this space once a year. And the high priest goes through the, the, the curtains of the Holy of Holies and into that space. Can we put the picture back up on the screen? Is that right? If we can keep it up for a little bit, that would be quite helpful for people. Um, and so when Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain is torn in two. Now, obviously, this, that isn't this tabernacle because what happens is, is Solomon builds the temple, which is a... Uh, another representation of this in Jerusalem. And so we remember what happens when Jesus dies on the cross, the temple curtain gets torn in two, and that demonstrates that you and I now have access into God's presence. Isn't that good? You'll say, hallelujah. There are some other objects, though, that God tells the Israelites to build in this space as well. The first is a seven-pronged uh, lampstand. It's got seven lamps on it. And so if you're Jewish, you'd call it a menorah. And this lampstand is to be made to look like an almond tree on the outside. So it's got like an ornate decorative covering to it. And now, depending on your viewpoint, you can see that this being representative of lots of different things. So if you're Jewish, you'd see this as being representative of the seven days of creation, with the Sabbath being the central sort of pillar within the seven lamps. Or you could see it as the sevenfold spirit of God. So if you were to read Isaiah, Isaiah talks about God's character being in kind of like seven ways, the sevenfold spirit of God, Isaiah 11, I think it is. So you've got this menorah, this lampstand. Then you've got a, a pot of incense that is burning. Now this incense is to not only create a smell, but to create smoke. So that when the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies, he doesn't see God. You remember when God descended on Mount Sinai and it's covered in thick cloud and the people are frightened. They can't go near the presence of a holy God. So you have this incense burning. And you've also got this table. It's called the table of the bread of the presence. Now, if you're from a, a, another religion or have got experiences with other religions, you might think, oh, okay, so they're to bring bread in every day to God. So what, they're there to feed God. So if you're a Hindu, for example, and I used to be an art teacher, and I used to take my students off to uh, Neesden, the big uh, Hindu temple in Neesden. And what happens is if you're a Hindu worshipper, you go into the temple and you take food, and there is food given to the gods to feed the gods. 
We don't believe that we need, God needs anything of food. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need human sustenance because he's God. And so this bread there, what's it for then? If it's not to feed this God, what's it for? Well, it's there to remind the Israelites, I think, that God is the sustenance they need. They're going and they're giving this bread as a reminder that God is the bread that we need. He's the one who's provided manna for them in the wilderness. And in fact, Jesus says in John that he is the bread of life. It's a reminder to us that God is all that we need. So that's what's inside the temple. And then outside the temple, you've got some other, um, other different altars that people can come and sacrifice on as well. And so this is different from lots of the other religions at the time, because lots of the other religions at the time, if you were just a, an average Joe Bloggs, you wouldn't have any, any access to God at all, to the God you worship. But people do in this scenario. So anyway, this tabernacle, this giant kind of compound, is to be placed right at the centre of the Jewish camp. And you can see if you want to go through and have a look at it, how it's all organised, you can actually have a look at it a bit more, and it's all very well organised with the tribes around the outside, and this in the middle. But I've got this kind of image in my head. Um, can we go back to the previous image, if that's all right, the one of the bigger site? So imagine for a minute that you're in the tent that is on the left-hand side, just behind the Holy of Holies. You'd be, like, right next to it, wouldn't you? And like, how cool would that be? So you wake up in the morning, and you're like, God's just there. And then you go to bed at night, and you're like, he's still there. I mean, it would be like crazy. You'd think, oh, I could just, if I could just have long enough arms, if I could turn into Mr. Fantastic, I could touch. I could touch it. He's that close to me if I'm at that end of the camp. God is right there. That's pretty amazing for them that they were experiencing that daily. But the thing is, and we kind of fail to realize that we've got a much better situation than that at all. What we've got is far better than that. Because we don't get to just wake up in a tent in the morning and see God or see God's presence. We get to have God living inside of us. You see, God has chosen now under the new covenant not to dwell in a temple, but to dwell within you and I. What we have far exceeds this. Far exceeds it. This is fascinating. But what we have far exceeds this. Now, Paul writing to the Corinthians, in fact, actually all of these uh, verses are from, from Corinthians. Paul writing to the Corinthians keeps reminding them that they are a temple for the Holy Spirit. Let me just read you these three things because I think you need to hear it this morning. So 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know, he says it again, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So God first chose to dwell in this tent of gold and silver and bronze and all the other amazing kind of uh, different uh, things that you see there. But now he chooses to dwell within you and I. Obviously, God is omnipresent, but he's placing his presence in a certain specific location within the tabernacle. But now he places his presence within a certain specific location, and that is the life of every believer. You might say, okay, okay, this is all great, Barney, but, but so what? So what? Big deal. Yeah, I've heard all this before. Some of you don't realise what amazing news this is for you. And some of you have discounted yourselves from it. Because 
if God, in the first place, chose to dwell in this amazing tent of gold and silver and bronze, and then he chooses to dwell within you, what does that tell you about you and the way that God sees you? We think about all of the, the, the kind of the, the, the day-to-day materials and the things that we go, wow, gold, that's a precious material. If that's precious, we see it as precious, what about how God sees you then? That he chooses to dwell within you. He doesn't want to dwell in a place of all the precious materials anymore. He wants to dwell within your life. And some of you have just discounted yourself from that. You think you're not worthy, that you're not good enough, that God wouldn't want anything to do with you. Maybe you have anxiety, maybe you have fear in you, and you just think, do you know what, actually, I, don't want, I, I just don't think he wants me. Paul says to you, do you not know that you are a temple for the Holy Spirit? God has chosen you as a special possession. You are his chosen and special possession. You are a child of God. You are a son or a daughter of the king of kings. And he chooses to make his home within you. He chooses to make his home within you. He chooses to make his home within you. He wants to dwell within your life. So that's the first thing. Firstly, what, what are, you, are you kind of discounting yourself from it? Do you think you're good enough for it? And if you don't think you're good enough for it, well, you are good enough for it because God has made you good enough. The second thing is this. As you're reading those first few verses of um, Exodus chapter 25, you'll see, uh, you'll see a couple of uh, just lines about how they're going to give these things into the temple. Let's just read that again. Uh, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. This reminds me of another verse in Corinthians. Perhaps there's some sort of essay or book in this about how Corinthians links to Exodus, because I've just quoted Corinthians four times now. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Paul is uh, writing to the Corinthians about giving into the need of another church. And he says to them, give, out of, give, give from your heart as God prompts you to give, not out of compulsion. And it's the same thing that we have here. God wants the Israelites to buy into what he's going to do. He wants them to invest in it, to step into it, to say, yeah, I'm going to take ownership of this. I want to be part of this project. He doesn't want them to um, feel that they're obligated to give into it, but he wants them just to give out of the way that they, they, feel, uh, they, they feel they want to give. I want to give into this. I want, to give in, I want to be invested in this. And I think there's something for us here today in this as well. There's a few things, actually. So, first of all, I just think about this for a second. Where's all this stuff come from that they're giving? Well, it comes from Egypt. That's an interesting one for you. It comes from Egypt, doesn't it? So when they leave Egypt, what do they take with them? They take with them the treasures of Egypt. They, they, take with, they carry them with them on their backs, and they end up in the wilderness with all of this stuff. And the stuff that they're now giving is stuff that they've taken out of the spoils of the enemy, are taken, and, and God uses them to build himself his dwelling place among them. That's a cool thing to think about. But this, this stuff and this giving that they do shows us something about us as individuals. You see, we need to be, uh, in the same way that they were, willing to give themselves over to this project and give all that they have. We need to be prepared to give all that we have to God. Because God wants everything from us. He wants all of it. He doesn't just want a little bit of us. And I think there's some people here who are, um, you're living like, actually, well, some days I want to be a dwelling place for God, and other days I just don't want to be a dwelling place for God. I want to go off and do what I want to do. And so 
on Sundays or small group or uh, the nights that you see Christians or the days that you see Christians, you're one person and then the rest of the time you're just somebody else. You're a half-hearted Christian. Because what you do is you say, well, actually, okay, God, I'll just give a little bit to you, but I'm not going to give the fullness of myself over to you. You can have me on Sundays. You can have me on Mondays. God, you can have my time, but you're not having my wallet. You can, you, can have, you can have my time, but God, I won't invite people around my house for dinner. I'm not going to be hospitable. God, you can have my wallet, but you can't have my love. We can, we can try and separate these things out, but actually God wants all of us. God is calling us to give all of ourselves over to him. He wants our thoughts, our emotions, our hearts, our lives. He wants to give us, them all to him because he wants all of us, because he loves us. And you know there's this thing about God making his home within us. We have to step into it as well. And it's interesting, as Richard was um, uh, leading us earlier on and, and just inviting the Holy Spirit, some of you, maybe you're here today and you, you, you're always waiting for the Holy Spirit to do something in your life, but you're not stepping into it. You see, the thing is about, about this is we have to step into God's. We, we can't just wait. We're not just going to wait around for him to do something. You know that line in that song, all in white, will wait around. It's a horrible line. Um, but... You know, actually, we're not just waiting around for God. We actually need to step into it and say, God, have all of me. God, have all of me. God, take all of me. I, I want to be a, an offering to you of worship and of sacrifice. God, would you take all of me? Come make your home in me, Jesus. Come make your home in me, Holy Spirit. So we can be here. We can turn up on Sunday mornings. We can go out during the week, and we, we are two different people. And that, that might be speaking to you today. But lastly, maybe you've been a bit like me this week, and I'll share a bit of a personal story with you, because I think this can affect all of us sometimes. We can all do this thing where we, we don't give ourselves over to God completely. So this week, Claire's been at New Day, um, and I've had the joy of being a single parent for the week. And, um, and if you're a single parent, thank you. You are, honestly, no, genuinely, you are amazing. It is incredibly difficult. I, don't, I genuinely don't know how you do it, if I'm honest with you. And so, like, just, I think God would just want to give you a well done. <laughs> For that, he really would. But, because it, it's hard. <laughs> so, I had the kids all week. They were getting up at 5.30. I was then trying to work, which was a really stupid thing to try and do. Um, I brought them into the office one morning. It was a car crash. Um, and, um, and then I was working all evenings from the time they went to bed until about one in the morning, fitting our kitchen. So, anyway, I get to the end of the week. We get to Friday night, and uh, I do stories. We do stories with the kids every night, and they read the Bible. And uh, so, I let you choose the story. And while Jude was choosing the story, Edie turns to me and goes, Dad, why are you always so busy? And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and then Jude goes, Dad, I picked this story, and it's Martha and Mary. <laughs> God was like, I've got you. The <laughs> story of Martha and Mary is that Mary comes just to worship before the feet of Jesus, and Martha is running around in the background just trying to do everything, trying to get everything ready, trying to prove herself to Jesus almost. You don't need to prove yourself to Jesus. You just need to come and sit at his feet. You don't need to, you don't need to um, sort of like try and run away from God. You just need to come and sit at Jesus' feet. And, and as you do that, he tabernacles with us. He makes his presence in our lives. He places his spirit in us. You can only experience the fullness of that if you're prepared to walk into it. You have to step into it. You can't just wait for it to happen. You need to say, God, you can have all of me. Take all of me, all my thoughts, all my emotions and everything. Something I didn't do this week. Just be honest about it. We all make mistakes. But we don't live under condemnation. We live under grace. Hallelujah. 
So how, how, what, what do I want to do as a response to this today? Look, I, I know I've given lots of different things here because I think there's lots of different things in, this, in these chapters about who we are and what God does in our lives. But I just want to stop for a minute and give you an opportunity just to invite the Holy Spirit into your life again and just say to the Holy Spirit and say to God, God, have all of me. Jesus wants us to come to him and he says when we do that, he will make his home in us. He will tabernacle with us. And I think as we experience that in the fullest, uh, fullest sense, what happens is, is that we start to walk around bringing heaven to the people around us. You see, when God first brought this tabernacle down, it was like a slice of heaven touching earth. And as you and I walk into the fullness of what God wants for us, and Jesus says in John 10.10 10, that if, you, if, you, if, you, if he comes, to that we might have life and life in all its fullness. And as we walk into the, the fullness of, of being a tabernacled people, God dwelling within us, we can share heaven with the people around us. So I want to just spend a few moments, just as we close, just for three or four minutes. We just want to, we're just going to take a moment. I'm going to invite you just to pray a prayer with me and just to sit and invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill you again. But as part of that, you just need to say to God, God, just have all of me. I hand it all over to you this morning. Don't do it out of compulsion, but do it out of joy. If you don't want to do it, that's fine. Okay, we're going to do that now. So, um, Tom, do you want to, we, can we sing a song as well? Is that all right? I'm looking for you. I can't see you anyway. Disappeared. Oh, he's there. He's at the back. Let's just pray, shall we? God, when we, we see the, the, the first tabernacle, we think, wow, that's amazing. Look at that incredible structure that they built in a desert. But Lord, it's even more amazing that you choose to come and dwell within us, that you make your home within us, that you come and tabernacle in us. Jesus, I just pray right now for anybody in this room who just needs to be free from the feeling today that they don't deserve it, that they're not worthy of it, because Jesus, you say that they are worthy and they are worth it. And Jesus, you have made them a son or a daughter. So Jesus, I pray for anybody here right now, right at this moment in time, who just needs to know the love of the Father over them, that they would know that right now. And Lord, I just pray for each one of us. We just pray right now, Jesus, have all of us. Jesus, have all of us. Take my time. Take my resources. Take all of me. That you would come and make your home in me. Jesus, I'm sorry where I got it wrong this week and I just, I tried to just, I tried to do it all in my own strength. <clears throat> Jesus, I pray for anybody else here like that today that they might just be able to come before you now and just, just say, Jesus, have, have, have me again, all of me again this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come and meet with us now, we pray, Lord God.